You're listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. I'm going to change, change pace for a second. Maybe Gaelic is something for you that seems a little bit hard to grasp. Um, I hope that, uh, that grills are a little bit easier. You know about these kinds of grills? They're, they're harder than they look, but the, they have them at like the picnic areas in Fairmont Park. They ha, you know what I'm saying? They're real heavy. Really want you to get your mind around these grills. So we're shifting. Have you ever cooked on one? Have you ever not cooked on one? How about that? A lot of people haven't? Good. Because I, th- I think most people don't. Do you think you could, though, if you never have? Think you could figure it out? It's harder than it looks for a lot of people. And I want to tell us kind of a, it's a story of, of people trying to cook on them and not being able to do it, which could sound um, a little kind of snarky. It's not my intent. I just mean it to evoke some, uh, some mystery and some wonder. And, and it has a point eventually. But I got to hang out at a poolside. This is back in the summer. Okay. Also, take your brain. This is, a, this is a definitely an out-of-season uh, anecdote. Picture Northern Liberties, swanky new apartment building, pool, a couple of these grills. I actually got to hang out in one of these places because I have a friend that lives there. Yay me, the dude that, that uh, played on my baseball team. And um, we wanted to grill out. Now, my friend didn't know how to cook on it. And was looking at it and explained that there's three of these grills over here. And right next to them all is a hose bib with a long hose that gets used about once a week when people start fires in these things. And the flames go up 20 feet in the air. And then they just, like, put it out with water and then order ecta or whatever. You know, the, that's the, the Indian restaurant close by. So he says to us, we got this, this meat and whatnot. Can any of you use it? So me and my catcher... We, we say we can do it. We know, we, know, we know what's going on. And we start going. And then here's where the kind of the awkward situation gets going. We're going. It's going good. There's a bunch of other people that are going to start. And they look a little bit kind of confused. They're sort of looking at us. But it's Northern Liberties, which generally has this vibe of, like, you do your thing and I'll do mine. Don't talk to me. To me. That's my vibe of Northern Liberties. Right? Oh, some of you are like, that's Philadelphia, dude. Some of you are like, that's white people. You know? Or, <laughs> Whatever way you want to think about it, that's what was happening to me. We get it going. The thing gets hot. The food starts cooking. It looks like it's working. And then other people are trying. They like, you know, the this is what it looks like when it gets when it gets going. Sometimes they're looking at it like it's a little bit magic. And I don't often fancy myself a magician, but there's a every once in a while I get to pull out these tricks. Like, yeah, I. Uh, I have no idea where this meat came from, and I have no idea what these veggies that we're going to cook. They, they just appear in my friend's fridge. We don't know. Um, but here they are. I knew how to, like, put the briquettes together, stack them up. This is pro tip of the day if you don't know how to do this. Make them touch, right? They got to touch. When you, when you uh, set your fire, that's, that's how that gets going, right? You don't need to just constantly pour lighter fluid on it. There's a, the fire's supposed to go out. Right? 
this kind of stuff. So then we start these conversations and we're like, hey, well, how about this? Another person had the fire going, but like the stupid thing about these grills for a lot of people is this, this, this little ratchet system, because they're up high to clean it out. Then they, one dude's trying to cook with a low level of the charcoals, but his food is 10 feet above the fire. So we're like, friend, could we adjust this? And like, let it get close. So you, you can see how this is working out, right, among people. And it's just kind of, for some folks, it's a little bit of like, whoa, that's how you do that. The, ho the, and the people that worked there said, wow, how did you do that? You, you just had three different people cook food, and there wasn't a serious fire, and we didn't have to use the hose at all. And it was, like, it was kind of fun. And then we all got to, you know, we're sharing food with each other, got to be friends, break down all my stereotypes, you know, um, maybe some other people's ideas of who we were. The, it made conversation more friendly when people would even just ask to say, I am a little bit bewildered here, I don't know how to do it. For, for us, I think it made conversation easier too when we just said, hey, do you, would you like some help or do you want some ideas for how to get that going? Um, in that story, maybe you have a story that's similar, but just think about faith for a minute and imagine where you could have seen faith in that out-of-season illustration. You have a working definition in your head of what faith means. It's different than other people's. And I'm not going to try to like get us all to agree on one definition. I'm not going to try to get us to, to just say, like, this is the way for today even. Consider your own process for a moment. What do you think faith means? And where was it if you had to cram it into that weird little interaction next to the swimming pool back a long, long time ago when it was warm and glorious outside? Is faith knowing how to do something and knowing that you'll be able to do something again because you've seen it work before? Is faith believing that things are going to work out no matter how unprepared or clueless you might be? Is faith trusting that you will be provided for whether or not you can ask for help or offer help? I think all those could be good. I'm putting faith kind of out on this limb in the middle of a majestic mountainscape here in this slide. Because I think the, I want to connect faith with wonder because I think faith and wonder make a great sandwich. Wonder can re redefine faith like a good mustard. Do you know about mustard or a good, con any good, use your condiment of choice and you'll know that the whole sandwich is only a vessel to get to that condiment <laughs> appropriately. And, and wonder can be that kind of thing if you, if you let it touch your faith. When faith grows our capacity for wonder, we can move along our journey despite even mistakes and find opportunities for faith to become action that blesses others, that receives blessing and helps restore this, this harmony with God. So that's what we're talking about today as we talk about epiphany. We're celebrating epiphany, which is a, it's a holiday in the, the Christian calendar that was actually on the 6th, but today's the Sunday we get to do it. An epiphany can be a moment where you grasp intuitively a reality through something usually simple or a moment. It's this, it could be a realization or a revealing moment. And the three magi or the wise men, as I don't really like them being called, or the three wizards, which I kind of prefer them being called, demonstrate this capital E epiphany when our creator becomes wrapped in flesh 
becomes manifested and then identified and, be, and we get to celebrate who Jesus is. So I hope that you'll pay attention to this old story with your own wonder as we look um, at a couple levels spiritually, some somewhat historical stuff, and also mythically trying to relate to God through it, trying to even relate to the, the instances, the interactions, the people, the, the stars, or whatever it is, trying to relate and open ourselves to God, open ourselves up to God's good ideas for us. This is the story, that the way that Matthew tells it in the second chapter of his gospel. And so I'll just read bits of the story and interject some stuff and eventually get us talking about houseplants. It's not a straight line, um, but there's a line. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during a time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. It's a pretty bold beginning of the story, but since the 8th century in the, the West, uh, Western Hemisphere, at least we've even settled on their names, which is like pretty impressive, you know? 900 years later, or 700 years later, whatever, and you're like, yep, they're Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. They're total awesome names. And they get variations on their spelling, their pronunciation. I do it in a very, like, you know... American white person kind of way of saying Caspar, Melchior, Balthazar, as if I had never known anybody with those names. Um, there are Chinese scholars that even make a good case for at least that one of them was not only from China, that far east, but was actually Liu Shang from the Han Dynasty. And this moment in the star describes his two-year absence from the court and um, could have traveled on the Silk Road that was hitting a new stage in development. I also heard a cool Armenian tradition that, that socially loc or that uh, locates the people of Balthazar of Arabia, Melchior of Persia, and Gaspar of India. East, again. The imagery of these folks in art gets interpreted through the artist, right? And, and a lot of times they don't necessarily look super Eastern. That's, that's it is what it is. You know, I think as we read the story, we can let art influence us, but we don't have to just say, you know, it is like the California Raisins said it was when they did their, their famous rendition of We Three Kings. You remember the California Raisins? Talking about wonder. How did they do that? How did those little dudes sing? Okay. The, in, in the West, though, the tradition generally holds... They're likely part of this priestly caste of Zoroastrianism, specifically studying stars. That was a lot of what they're doing. The study of stars um, among sailors, just <coughs> imagine for a moment if you lived in a place most of your life where if you looked around, there is no land. There are no mountains, there is no Ben Franklin Bridge, there is no sense for you to get your location. All you can do is look up. The way that you rely on those stars, the way that you get to know those stars, is, a, is an intense and special relationship. Now these, we're presuming a lot upon them, but these magi had that sort of um, vocational relationship 
that was full of, of wondering, but it was also connected, you know, to breakthroughs in astronomy and mathematics, and as well as some people say like the fortune telling kind of stuff. Um, when you hear of, you know, magi, where we get, you know, magic and mages from Dungeons and Dragons from, they're coming to Jerusalem was no joke. They probably weren't just traveling, the three of them. I imagine this sort of caravan where they're carrying chests of stuff and they have to give gifts along the way. And they finally, in the, their first stop, they go to the capital to talk to the king to say, hey, here's a, here's a kingly moment. You're probably involved. Um, but if it was a whole caravan, it would make more sense for the city to be disturbed the way that Matthew describes it next. When King Herod heard that he was, heard this news, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what was written in the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd, be the shepherd of my people. So then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. They're taken pretty serious about Her by Herod and the others, and even were helping. A lot of us, I think, if you're familiar with the Bible stories, you read Herod, Herod like a villain, and he has the kind of like maybe even like a <laughs> Wario kind of voice or something like that, if you know who Wario is. But the, that's, how, that's how I even hear him sometimes in my head. Um, and, we're, and you may even wonder, why would these cool dudes from the East even have like a relationship where they're going to like, okay, I'll do what you said. Just want to put it out there. It's very normal to go through some protocols and stuff. And when the king tells you to do something, you cooperate. You don't just kind of be like, yeah, but what if you're a bad king? And maybe I won't do it. Like the, no. So anyway, the, Herod makes two mistakes that I can, you know, that just I notice. One of them is he tries to be sneaky with them. I don't think you should try to, like, outsmart the wizards. Like, come up with a different tactic. But tries to be, give them, like, the, hey, why don't you go and find this out for me so that I can have your intent. You know, it's just like they probably are not that stupid. And the second is a classic villain move. Sends the henchmen to do the important work. You've ever seen a Bond film? This happens in every Bond film. That, well, did it happen in Her Majesty's Secret Service? With George Lazenby as Bond? Do you remember? <laughs> Nobody saw that one, did they? George Lazenby? One-off Bond. Bummer. Anyway, the... Having the henchmen go do the important work. Classic villain stuff. Hindsight's 2020, I guess. But I think that sadly, even in those things, I can identify with Herod. Herod's doing stuff that I do. I know how it feels. Sometimes I want to be sneaky in my dealings with stuff around Jesus, too. 
and I just want it to be kind of secretive or I want it to be like, yeah, I don't really talk about how this is working out very well. I'm going to let you assume stuff. I want to, I want you to presume certain things, other things I want you to assume I'm not doing. But uh, even with God, I think I kind of relate like that a little bit like, um, and this isn't all the time or something like that, but sometimes I just feel a little, a little squirmy. Shame is a, is a tricky thing, even when relating spiritually to God. And I would also like sometimes to do my vicarious relating to God through someone else. Love just, I mean, maybe it's just more of a fantasy than real life, but I, I like the idea of sending henchmen to do my spiritual work. You know, because like, I don't feel like it often. I know it's good. I mean, you know, like just think about your, your spiritual disciplines that you do, your practices, which are probably different than other people. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody else just like, kind of like did them and you just were like, yep. You did that for me. Or some of you might even have servants that can do the spiritual practice. You know, the, they, uh, they might be electronic servants or something. But the, get some content going here so we can feel something. Get some content rolling so I could uh, relate. Rather than just being where you are with the, with the passions and problems that you have and relating right there. Sometimes I can uh, sh- try to shortcut this vibrant relationship with God by letting it be other means. By the way, just are you the kind of person that this kind of situation in a park, is that a pet peeve of yours or does that just make total sense? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a, that's a moment for you to wonder about yourself and your character. You, you, only God can judge you. The I think sometimes I want to shortcut that vibrant relationship because I don't feel like turning to God when I'm stressed out. I feel like turning to other stuff or other people or trying to even turn off. I think I need more time for diversion and more time for entertainment um, as a kind of bandage or a, or a momentary break rather than letting my suffering bring more intimate contact with the one who actually would restore me and give me the equipment to deal with the situation. In verse, verse 9, we're gonna, it's almost over here. After the Magi had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, And they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. And they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And this is where it gets the most confusing for me. If the star went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, why did they bother going to Jerusalem in the first place? Were they doing protocol because they were of the social class where they got trained in the etiquette of how to relate to kings and they knew that if they did this a different way, it's not legitimate enough, so they're going to make it right? Was it common sense? Were they just doing, the way, doing things the way they're supposed to be done? But I think they made a pretty huge mistake by doing that. 
And we generally just forget about it and we give them a pass. But more about that in a minute. Their gifts have, have rich... Wait, where's the gifts here? They have a rich symbolism. Gold for the king, right? Because your wealth, essentially, in their worldview, in their political reality, your wealth doesn't really belong to an individual, right? Your wealth belongs to the, the Lord. Of the, your, your wealth belongs to the king. You live by the, at the leave of the king. That's how hierarchy works. Because the, the, the rulers are ruling, you are allowed to exist in your existence. Even if you're born if smart or become educated or get to do cool stuff, your wealth is not yours. So to even give wealth is this, is this political acknowledgement of you deserve wealth. You will lead in a way that redistributes it. Like kings in a lot of places that have, you know, less of a, you know, European ideal. They, they have wealth so that they can redistribute it because they throw a big meal for 50 people every night. So that's why people share wealth with them. So they, they can make peace, so that they can help settle disputes locally, and so they can, uh, you know, make, I already said make peace, but I meant with other groups. The, when you got to the, to the frankincense, it, ev- it evokes this, worshipful aroma that might even bring up memories of the sacred, acknowledging that this holy child deserves awe. And myrrh, of course, is a, is a burial spice, which is maybe the awkward gift to give most newborns, the, just conscious of the closeness of tragedy, consciousness of the, the closeness of death. It's not that weird if you think about it because I think one thing we all have in common is we're all going to die. So I'd even say die well is kind of cool, but that's also kind of metal. <laughs> to worship the baby, I think seems strange. it should seem strange to you. For people to come and bow down and worship a baby, that's a, not something that's like normal for us. And Christmas comes around and we're like, yes, but the baby, and we worship the baby. And it gets normalized for a couple weeks and songs and stuff. But like... I just want to put it out there again. It's weird. <laughs> it's strange things to do. Even when you had this connection of the king gets worshipped, they get revered, they deserved you to bow down to them and give, give up your life for them, for that to become a baby in this even divine way, is, is, it's pretty unusual. Um, even if you're sort of, yeah, it's unusual for them too. But it was still... Wonderful, because what had the baby done for them? It was, they were illuminated though. They beheld an epiphany. They followed the star and they followed their hearts. It was wonderful. They're telling Herod about it um, and then not going back. One of the mistakes about it is it indirectly caused the massacre of the innocents that we talked about last week. If they didn't show up, just logically go there with me for a sec. They didn't tell Herod about Jesus being born. Herod's not going to kill every child under two in that region. Which, just want to put it out again, is a huge bummer. It is a tragedy. And that's how kings do. That's how the rulers do. And they were complicit in that. They showed up and they did their job. Horrible things happened. 
So I ask you, I'm trying to make a case to like make you feel some kind of way about them. Maybe that you don't think before. Because most people just think they're cool, they show up, they give gifts. Yay, they're the life of the party. But think about just their, their experience leads to incredible suffering and loss. So if I got you there to be able to like just feel some kind of way about them, why, why would we give them a pass? Should we give them a pass? I think just simply put, there's, a, there's this, the spring represents tension. That's what that's going to be. The, when they are the focus, just saying, did they live their life good enough? Did they do it right enough or wrong enough or how did it go? The math is not going to work out. The math never works out for us. If you wanted to just say like, yeah, but like they did would give gifts and that was kind of better than, I don't know, I don't even want to say this thought about the bad stuff that happened. And who knows what they did afterward? There's different traditions that say they were whatever. Some of them are martyred. There's lots of speculation about it. But the, what, what good did they really do? Gold, so Mary and Joseph could become refugees as they flee to the east, or excuse me, to the west, so that they weren't destitute refugees. They were the kind of refugees that could travel. I mean, these, the Magi gave their gifts and then went back a, a different way. Maybe that means they were transformed by the Holy Presence in the person of Jesus, going back on a, a different route or another way. Maybe it was literal, maybe it was figurative too. Maybe it means that they were pulling out that particular corrupt political system. But if you focus on yourself and just allow yourself to calculate the good that you do versus the bad that you do, the math ain't going to work out either. We're so wrapped up. As people who live in the United States, we are so wrapped up and complicit to systems of oppression that connect everything from food to the water and air, you know, ecological systems, to the way our taxes work, to public education, to funding the war machine. We can go on. And I don't say this to just make us feel, you know, guilty, but just let's acknowledge some of our own complicity and our own um, how difficult it is to be removed from creating oppression that hurts, that degradates creation and actually kills people, causes them to grow up working in sweatshops. This is inherent in there is this tension that when we go before God and when we, when we worship Jesus and we follow in the way of Jesus, I think one of the things that changes or that can change is not that you're no longer responsible for those systems and you're no longer responsible to clean up the mess that we all live in, but you don't have to carry it around your neck like as if you're in control of making the math work out. Like you're the one who's going to be in control of, you know how the world's supposed to work. You order it. You tell people how to behave. You tell people how to relate. You tell people how to do it, and it would ever work out. I mean, Jesus doesn't even do that. Jesus inspires these pockets of life, pockets of restoration, pockets of forgiveness, pockets of possibilities for new things to come that don't just keep us in, the, in that way of thinking that's just about equality or just about the sense of did I do enough good today? When we follow in this way of Jesus, we give our gifts that we have that include wealth and worship and, and even preparing to die a good death or acknowledge Jesus' good death. But we also are gifted back the equipment to deal with the responsibility of our time and our place as co-workers with God's redemption project. That's pretty heavy-duty theology. Take it, take it a bit smaller 
and a bit more personal. Just where does wonder get you? Like what is something, I'm not talking about a Wikipedia wormhole about professional wrestling in the 80s. I'm talking about something in life that caused you to pause and reflect because of its beauty, because of the, your inability to comprehend it, or just because it excites you. For some people, it's watching a waterfall, which you can pretty much get your head around what's happening there. Water is going over a drop. Yet, why is it mesmerizing? That's the kind of wonder I'm talking about. What kind of stuff, what kind of moments or what kind of practices develop that sense of wonder with you? And could you sit with it every day? And if you sat and wonder every day, what would that make life like? The Magi found a star. I think that's a good suggestion for us. I think most of us know like nothing about stars, with a few exceptions. That's okay. I mean, it's not like a judgment. It's just... We, we, the average person goes out at night, looks up, says, yep, there's a bunch of the lights, and moves on with their life. Right? And then sometimes they're bright and sometimes they're not. I'm in the city and I can't see them that much. I go to the country, I can see them better. That's, they're pretty. Some of them are planets, I guess. Some of them might be solar systems. So I'll stop. But like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a profound stuff going on there that um, some people just, it really grabs them, and they, and they explore it. It might be something different for you. It might even be investigating healthy soil polycultures in a raised bed that you're building, or really learning how to do compost well. Or it might be the way that two fabrics work together. It could be the way that colors play. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to be exhaustive here trying to set up possibilities for you to get a hold of your own wonder. But what gives a sense of um, wonder that's worth reflecting and journaling about? And how could that wonder make your faith more delicious? I have a real small practical suggestion that I, that I hope that you'll do. This week, buy two houseplants. I'm not going to say where to buy them. You'll figure it out. But buy two and one of them is for you, and one of them is for you to gift to someone else. The purpose of this exercise, and buy a tiny one that's like not fully grown, if you want to, if you can, or if you want to do this in like a, the way that I'm describing. <laughs> but like, uh, tend to it every day for a month and see what happens. Investigate it. Let it be a moment when you touch it, talk to it, water it, little bits, figure out what it likes, its relationship to light. Let it be part of your even prayer experience to investigate this with wonder, this created thing that is adding more beauty. When you gift it to somebody, say this is a gift for you to practice being a co-worker with a miracle. This little thing is going to become something. And you get to, depending on how you're going to work with it, that's what it's going to become, probably. God's good idea for a new life to grow in hostile environments, and you're going to help practice caring for it while it beautifies your home. The epiphany comes in the middle of some weird stuff for the nation of Israel, weird stuff in the life of Mary and Joseph, weird times even for the three magi, and for each of us it comes at moments when we're going through weird stuff. It's an opportunity to make space for wonder to transform our faith from just a series of beliefs or a set of ideas 
move it into a practice of wonderful caring about God's good ideas and cultivating them with Jesus. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect tab at circleofhope.net.